0: Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. You're listening to episode 14. In this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Seattle's very own Emmett Montgomery. We talk about tons of stuff in this interview. It actually went a little bit over. It was about two hours, so I'm splitting it into two parts. In this part, we talk about Emmett's early life and uh, stand-up comedy, how his career started out here, uh, what it was like being on that 9-to-5 plus grind he was actually working over 60 hours a week and then how he shifted into doing comedy full-time what it takes to run really unique indie shows and sort of the rise of the seattle indie comedy scene among other things emmett is really interesting and his stories are very vibrant and entertaining and i hope you guys will enjoy this interview thank you i'm here with emmett montgomery Emmett is a stand-up comedian, storyteller, show producer, artist, puppet maker, maker of Old Man Masks, and comedy teacher. He was also featured on Last Comic Standing Season 9 and runs several renowned shows throughout Seattle. Welcome. Uh, Hello. Hi. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I don't know. This
1: is cool. We kept on running into each other. At the grocery store. Yeah,
0: I was really concerned that you thought I was following you. No, I it, got it really in my head. <laughs> like, <laughs> you were going to think that.
1: It was fine, although I think that the people at the grocery store think that you follow yeah, me. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm kind of worried there's about. there's been two times where you've actually used my Safeway club number.
0: Yeah, it actually really came in handy. I saved a couple couple t- dollars off. A <laughs> yeah, few cents.
1: You know, it's actually it's my wife's phone number and so they will uh they'll sometimes because they they they'll call you like they'll be like thank you you know but they call me by my my wife's maiden name be like <laughs> thank you mr pitman and well, that's kind of how i feel sometimes yeah I, um, I feel no it. it's perfect it is because because she's a fantastic lady and i don't think without her support <laughs> and her letting me do you know do, do things um that's funny. Because, well, I mean, we've been married for about 10 years. And, it well, it will be 9 in August. Congrats. But, um, and when we first dated, I had just started stand-up. And I had started a new job. I had quit my, my, my big, you know, I managed a Hollywood video. And I was climbing up the corporate ladder.
0: Uh, Hollywood who, Video. Yeah, wow. who knows where
1: I would be if I would have stuck with the company? I could be running things. Wow. But um.
0: It does it exist? No, no. Well, no, there's no way that's. Around. There's
1: no no more no more video stores. Uh, well, I was real good at a thing that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I mean, there's some great ones, but it was, yeah. I had I was. Managing this video store and my coffee guy uh, Every morning, you know, we would we would shoot the shit at 7 in the morning. This guy that worked at coffee cart and At one point he's like hey man, I've been going down to open mics and you seem funny You should come down with me because it sucks and I don't want to do it alone. And so I went down Uh, He gave me like a, a card like a free free ticket to the comedy underground and I went and uh he wasn't there he didn't go he didn't go the just the nerves I mean it was different it was nobody was doing like stand-up was like a sinking ship 15 years ago especially in Seattle like nobody was really interested if you ask people like if you, if you told someone you did comedy, they'd be like, improv? You know? I love improv. And you're like, no, stand-up. they were like, is there even stand-up here? You know? And you'd go down to this weird basement uh, in a building that was closed down later for earthquake retrofitting. And you'd go down these smoky stairs. And it was beautiful. There were rats sometimes that would come on the rafters. And it was a sign of good luck if the rat... Came by during your set. That's it amazing. Was, there were maybe I don't know 15, 20 people that were going to open mics
0: just in all of Seattle.
1: Yeah, wow. There were two clubs. There was Giggles and the Underground. And Giggles didn't like you go into other places. And so, really, yeah. So you pretty much had to choose. Underground didn't care. They were they just wanted comedy to happen. And uh, you know, and and it just. A group of us just kind of fell into sort of this writing circle and uh, and then figured that there wasn't enough stand-up because like we could do the open mics on Sunday and Monday underground and then uh, there was like a Tuesday and Wednesday show that uh, the Tuesday was a political show Wednesday was the best what oh, was the um bachelor eligible bachelors of comedy uh, really yeah and it was ladies free and this kind of handsome uh guy named jake dill who is now a dj in la uh would host and uh but you have to kind of be
0: invited for that didn't he start Jai Tai? jake dill was he one of the people that no, started it? No. I heard of some guy that started Jai Anthony Tai. Calderon. DJ.
1: Anthony Calderon is, is, is the one of the guys who well, Mike Basket and Anthony Calderone uh started Jai Tai and Mike Basket is, is a DJ, like uh for, for parties and stuff. Oh, okay. And Anthony Calderon is in LA. Um, but Jake Dill is on the radio out in L.A. and he comes out sometimes still. Oh, nice. Uh, but, but like, so your options were, if you wanted another open mic, you would drive down to Tacoma uh, and sometimes get bumped because uh, you had to deal with t- Tacoma Comics, too, and so the need to create space kind of manifested. But Back to my wife uh, when I started after I quit my corporate job so I could do more stand up. Uh, I uh, I started working part time at a pizza call center, another <laughs> job. A pizza
0: it. call center,
1: yeah. So people used to call to order pizza back last decade,
0: but yeah. But I didn't realize online. they had call centers,
1: yeah. It was a yeah, I know.
0: I uh, thought they just went right to the place.
1: Uh, well, so Pollyachi Pizza here in Seattle, they were, they, they centralized a call center. And so, wow, there's, there's, yeah, there's, I mean, call centers around, but yeah. So apparently before, before standup, I was really good at, Getting jobs that don't exist anymore. Wait, that, that's so funny. <laughs> but uh,
0: are you now like a ludite, like just against all modern technology? No, I again? think it's
1: fantastic. I think, <laughs> you know, to see my former masters fall, that's wonderful. Look at me now. Wow. I'm around and they aren't. That's but, so funny. Um, although I do miss the community of the video store, and I think I, I it was I really loved knowing my neighborhood and being able to share ideas with people. And, and it, was, it was it was super fun, you know, because knowing that we are all watching the same stories. And I think maybe that's uh, that sort of influences how I do stand up.
0: That's so cool. How old were you when you started? Oh,
1: man. So I've been doing it for almost 15 years. I turned 40 in just a few weeks. So I was oh, I was 25. I felt like I started late, you know, but i guess i was kind of
0: young then so but uh how was it at first like first starting out for you in the scene especially since it was like you're almost one of the pioneers considering it was relatively fresh scene um well i mean yes and no there's a
1: a beautiful history of seattle stand-up in fact uh seattle comics there used to be like eight comedy clubs in seattle Really, during the comedy boom, there was like an improv. There was uh, the Showbox. No you way. know Where the Showbox is right there. No. Where uh, is So that... the Showbox in the Market is is it's it's a music. Oh venue. yeah.
0: Oh yeah. The but isn't you, that the Unexpected Productions theater?
1: No, no that's the Market Theater where. But Showbox is it's 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 a, it's a, it's a, music venue. Okay. It's it's it's, it's right by Pike Place. But it used to, it used to be an improv. It was a comedy club.
0: Really? Like the Hollywood improv brand kind of? Some like yeah.
1: So it was like the Seattle Improv. It was a comedy club. Oh, there are wow. all sorts of others. Um, but and there were there were a lot of great guys that were working out here. Um, some still are Brad Upton, Kermit PO, uh you know, those folks. And they actually they unionized, the comics unionized to have an increase in wages. And those and that legacy is still Here today because that's what we're still getting paid. I guess really that's
0: so interesting. What do you mean by that? Like they literally just all got together. They all got together and
1: we're talking about guys like Bill Nye. Was was when he started out here? He did. Yeah. No way. And yeah, I mean this is all a couple generations before me, but and they just were like refused to work unless certain certain needs were met.
0: That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there was, there was, uh, but, you know, so ebbs and flows. So this was, but then there was the the burst, and then people stopped going to comedy uh, clubs. One in the 90s? Yeah, you know, because the market was saturated. And and so I guess in 2004, when I started, um, it was just one of those. When I went down to that basement and saw, like, just everything that was going on at that open mic and a lot of it wasn't good, but it, I, I was like, but there was some stuff that was just real fun and different. And I was like, this is a space for me to fail. Right. Yeah. Like I can do this. Like I can. And when I was, I was working 60 hours a week, managing wow. this video store and it just, you know, Dealing with a a truck went through the front of my... Two different trucks went through the front of my uh, store while I was a manager there. Why?
0: Does this have anything to do with you being manager? No, no, I think... Two trucks.
1: Yeah. Well, one was just a van. One was a legitimate truck where there was a vehicle error and it just went... And then another was a van of just a lady just... just, It was just that weird... What was the
0: position... Was it prone to like people backing into the store like how is that what's the likelihood of that happening
1: just a weird thing and it's when like the corporate was talking to the corporate insurance dudes they were like yeah this happens all the time what like Like, trucks just back into yeah because you have a big glass windows and then people just Oh no they was full-on like front one of those my my opener uh my my shift leader, she she was, was late, and I remember it was a big deal because she would have been checking in videos and would have been cut in half. Anyway, so I was working at Hollywood Video wow. for 60-plus uh, hours a week, and so it would just stew, and then I would get that five minutes of stage time a week, right? And I wasn't necessarily talking about video stores or whatever, but I would have... An outlet. My first joke ever was about topiary gardening, and it wasn't very good. And I couldn't tell you what it was, uh, but I remember, like that's how bad it was. It took months for me to get a laugh, but eventually I got laughs. And eventually I realized that I was very unhappy, and that I wasn't making, I wasn't watching movies, I wasn't making art anymore. I was just a guy, in a a, a shitty button-up shirt that I didn't even have time to wash and it was time for me to to do something else so I quit my job I gave my district manager a copy of Siddhartha which is a great book about a guy who does a lot of things by Herman Hess Uh, a guy who in order to find enlightenment um, so I gave Wayne (laughs) this book and is like I gotta get out of here his name man. was Wayne his name was Wayne yeah wow and um I I, I gave him this this you know I, I I quit and eventually I needed another job uh and I worked in this pizza center and there was this this pretty gal I mean I was dating somebody at the time but she was very nice to me and she said, "Hi." She said, "I heard you do stand-up comedy." And I go, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, I go to open mics, and she's like, "Oh, okay." And she brought a whole group that Sunday, a whole group down, to uh, that worked there at the call center, and that was kind of one of the traditions that people I worked with would come and part of that I think I got a little more more time and you know that's Oh cuz
0: he brought like tons of people Well, Kate was bringing them
1: you know but not just but they were Kate was invested in the other comedians too but and um, and then started getting laughs and then we started we want you know this group of guys we wanted more so we had an idea to start few comics were doing shows outside of the underground but out of comedy clubs but it seemed like a really radical idea you know um like there were there were bookers that would have these these one-nighters in these road rooms but it seemed almost like taboo to, to to do a show in the back of a rock club or something and uh we had a one of us had a friend who's bartending who was bartending on like a French pop dance night at this weird art space called uh, called Shack, the Capitol Hill Art Center, and it was like, Hey, I can't lose this night. You guys should do a show and so we did a show called Laugh Hole. And we did a month of these shows that were It just landed that the first one was the day before my birthday and the day after my buddy Dan Carroll's birthday. And so we were able to, and then between us, you know, we brought all the hip Capitol Hill kids and the show was actually fun and good and in a cool space and. We we did these shows for this summer, and then uh, the manager of the Underground, Ron Reed, came down to the the first one and let us buy him a shot of whiskey. And it was like, whatever you guys want to do, I'll support you. And then, uh, wow! The owner of of Giggles banned us from <laughs> from uh, from performing there, which we already were kind of unwelcome, and. Uh, and then we started just, just doing shows, and we created kind of a comedy collective called the uh, the People's Republic of Comedy, uh, because the coffee stand. Uh, that my buddy had was called the People's Republic of Coffee, and for years that was sort of, and we helped produce other shows, and and, and. Scott Moran, uh, who directed Rory Scoville's uh, special, he saw what we were doing and he started designing posters for us and then doing shows with us and doing stand up and then we with a bunch of other guys. We did a show called Comedy Night and it just went on and eventually you started doing it every other things and the the collective fell apart
0: and So uh, what exactly was the collective? It was just a group of comedians that produce shows together? Well, so,
1: I mean, it started out like the four of us. Uh, and, and Peter Gray was was part of it, too. He, he kind of came up with the idea and, and the branding. And, and he did this real cool weekly show called Comedy Night, which was, I think, the first indie weekly. Um, and the premise was he would treat it like it was a TV show. Um, and... And audience when they were getting up for drinks they would duck so not to get in the way of the invisible cameras and it was and the regular folks on that show were uh, me uh, Daniel Carroll uh, Kevin Heider uh, Scott Moran I was hosted by Drew Barth um, who is on the radio now here a producer in the radio and also at one of your working stand up comics in Seattle. Um, a guy named Jeff Die, uh, a guy named Hari Kondabolu, uh, who are, I assume you're familiar with. Uh, just yeah, released a Netflix special. Uh, that's crazy. Else, oh, yeah, the um, Andrew Slater, uh, a lot of great comics. That's so cool, yeah, and then um. Matt Schmitt we would write sketches and we would do it some people That's would so do their awesome. same sketch every, their same recycle their jokes I would try to do, do it was I mean, it was a complex mess of a show it was like an hour and a half too long We an would, hour and a half
0: too long yeah, was like I it was like a
1: three hour show yeah it was always ridiculous and we would get uh, we'd just drink so much it was at this martini bar called the Mirabu Room that is 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 no longer there and it just and that was a big part too like but this thing that we were doing was caught on and 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 they really kind of and we brought Laugh Hole back and we were kind of and and for a while the four of us were just these we were like this beautiful boy band of we were on the cover of The Stranger and I, Dan and I got in a lot of trouble because we'd go out drinking and we'd be at this bar and the bar would be like, "Hey, you're the comedy guys, right?" And we'd be like, "Yeah." And they'd be like, "Hey, do you want a free T-shirt? You know?" And they give us free drinks and have us wear their t- like if you wear your T this our bar's T-shirt on stage, right? And it was ridiculous. Wow. It couldn't last and it didn't last, but and when that ended and when I realized. You know, we all started to realize that we wanted to do other things. And the thing about producing shows is that, like, you know, if you're thinking about setting up chairs and putting out Facebook blasts or not, it was not, we were doing MySpace at the time. Um, when was this? Oh, this was 2005. Uh, well, let me see. So, I was. I I left the collective. Uh, eight years ago, nine years ago. So we're talking.
0: Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. 2009. Yeah. And then... Uh, trying to just like figure out the chronology of this from when you started to doing these indie shows to...
1: I'd say about a year, in, a year or two in. But, um, you know, it was... And we tried a bunch of things. But... I think I've always been producing shows. Not because I want to, but because if there's not a show, if I want to do something and that doesn't exist... then You have you,
0: to make a show for it. You have
1: to make a show for it. Or you have to trick somebody into doing it. Or you have to seek yeah. out that thing that you're looking for, right? And
0: It's not just going to happen.
1: And, I mean, Seattle, though, even though like the stand-up comedy scene wasn't necessarily developed, uh, there were so many other scenes that were... Uh, like the drag scene was very exciting when I first moved here. There was this kind of shock drag thing. There was this great show called Faux Bang, uh, which was hosted by two drag queens, Ursula Android and Jackie Hell. And they had a loose, weird sketch storyline. And someone would always get murdered on stage. Like they killed Kenny G a lot. <laughs> uh, who was always played by a different dude in a wig, you know? And and there were all these characters. And they had drag queens, and then they would have like, real, cool bands, close it out. Like that's where I saw the gossip for the first time. And 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 then this crazy dance night, and there was just this world and this mythology and this community and this fun, neat stuff. And that was. When I came here fresh off the boat from Utah, like and stumbled into into shows like that, like I was just happy to be audience forever. And then I found stand up and then I started doing shows. I thought, how can I create worlds? How can I do my phobang? You know? And that's I think what Laugh Hole tried to be and and then and then after I left the collective I decided what I want. What did I want to do, you know? And a lot of doors kind of were closed, or a lot of, you know, because I kind of walked away and wanted to do other things and and focus on myself and not other people. And there's this fringe theater uh, annex theater that's, mm-hmm. um, and I had produced. Uh, kind of under the umbrella of of the of the comedy collective, a, a, a joke writing competition uh, called oh, I can't even comedy fistfight or something like that. Uh, there was this game we came up with a phrase off, uh, where uh, you'd start, you know, you, two people would have a phrase and then they'd finish it, right? Okay. Um, like that improv game. Yeah, yeah. kind of, but yeah. but they would would get it like like a day before, and so and then the audience would vote, and so I think maybe my the thing about vampires was one of my favorite prompts, and this guy Ross Parsons who lives in uh, New York now and does stand up out there, his response to that was the thing about vampires, is. Well, not all Mormons are vampires, all vampires are Mormon. And it was a cool way to see that. And we That's we, great. we had we also had writers and other people, in fact, and it was like a tournament. In fact, Lindy West uh, won one of the phrase-offs. Really? One of those comedy fist fights, yes. Uh, New York Times bestselling author Lindy West, um, who was actually part, part of the comedy scene.
0: She's a New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, interesting.
1: And then, and then, because
0: I know of her only through the drama of Seattle comedy, because that's another thing.
1: Well, she was part. She was part of the scene, and in, in fact, and one of the reasons why Seattle comedy was successful is because when she became a Stranger writer, she was a, a huge advocate for us, and so that's what was really interesting when the fact when a bunch of knucklehead uh, shit, shit boys. Decided to to go after her and create that parody account. They were really just hurting Seattle comedy by sawing down one of its biggest allies interesting and and uh, But you know in her book uh, Which I am mentioned in as someone who did stand-up comedy in Seattle <laughs> uh, It just one what people's you know, that's been turned into a sitcom series. So
0: what I don't why don't I know that? what is this? What's the name? Yeah, of the book? so
1: it just got it's called Shrill. It just got optioned. Uh and it's gonna with AD Bryant from SNL. They're they're developing what? it. Yeah, all this
0: I only knew of her name from that I I just thought she was like a local Seattle. Oh no, she is she writer. is a, a cultural influencer. That's crazy. Now yeah. she's New York Times best selling author. Yeah, and she lives here. Wow, that's amazing. That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great comedy and art that is generated here. This that is, is going to the be a very thing. rambly interview, but no,
0: that's fine. Um, uh, so I want to go back to um, when you were like starting this comedy collective, that seems sort of like a club. It right. Was,
1: it was a total club. It was a writers' circle, is what it was. It's also we were a bunch of dudes that that liked to. To, to drink together and we would have writing sessions every Wednesday at a place called the satellite and we would just get drunk and then roll down and get on that eligible bachelor show and, and see what that's awesome. In it. I love that. It, it was cool and then you know but then sometimes the the drinking or the, the other stuff or the being cool took over the joke writing. And that's, I think, where where we kind of got in trouble.
0: So two years in, you were already kind of like a local celebrity from comedy.
1: I was very lucky. And I think that there was some resentment from the people who started before me and the people who started after me, too. I think I just I slid in maybe at the right time. I, I wonder sometimes. Because when I first moved here, I... Uh, When I first moved here, I almost got an apartment in the International District. It would have been like a five-minute walk from the Comedy Underground. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I would have showed up there, and who knows? Maybe I would have started stand-up then, and and maybe I'd be, you know, maybe it never would have happened, or maybe, who knows where I'd be. But I do think that a lot of it, and part of it, too, is the support of folks. Like, I really think, like, I don't know if I would have kept going if this this if I didn't have this pretty girl at work was was bringing all our friends down down to, to see me do stand up. Wow. And then, you know, something that happened, you know, I'd go and Carl Ormanhoven, who was the assistant manager of the club. He he saw something and he he asked me to start hosting that open mic and so I did I hosted that open mic about twice a month. And that was the, some of the first money I ever got. It was 50 bucks a pop and it was fantastic.
0: Which open mic was this?
1: The open mic, the county underground.
0: Oh, wow. And so,
1: and so that was so you're running it. Back I, I, well, I, w- I was just hosting it. Okay. There was a manager there who was making grown up decisions and everything, uh, which is still uh, happening, you know, I yeah. Think. But, um, in fact. Kind of what's happening at the underground right now is kind of a throwback feel to, to how it was when it first started,
0: or when I first started, with like different comics, managing and stuff like that. Well,
1: it'll just just kind of the. the so Carl and Ron were the managers, uh, and they were two kind of best friends, you know, and uh, they were actually a touring act, a duo. Yeah uh Warmanhoven and Brown in the early, you know, like in the eighties. And they uh they were the manager and assistant manager. They were the mom and dad of the scene and and they really were, were looking. If you did well on the open mic, you could do the weekday shows and you knew to hang out on, on the weekends. Hang out on the weekends, um, which I don't think enough comics do nowadays. And because, you know, maybe the host wouldn't show up and I'll send your host in the weekend, right? And then you, you you do a guess at and eventually, you know, maybe the, the, the feature they book doesn't show up. And you fill in or enough, you know, or you impress the headliner enough. He asks for you or all those things. Like there was a definite ladder. And even though there was this ladder and this system that was perceived still back in those days where there was a guy named Lex Cooper. I'm sounding very old, uh, and I'm gonna, this is gonna make me sound even older. There's a guy named Lex Cooper, who just, just passed away just a month ago. Uh, he was at all, every open mic, he would set up his camera, his big bulky camera, and he would record your set. And if you gave him 10 bucks, 20 bucks, he would bring you a VHS tape of it in two weeks. And that's the thing you would, and then he would also make copies for you. And you would mail that places, that tape. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, and the whole idea was, you know, and people still, you're going to, that, you know, there's this path to, to Headliner. And then we, we disrupted it. I mean, everybody was disrupting it. Comedy was happening outside of comedy clubs, and I think I had to to survive.
0: Yeah, so the indie shows kind of disrupted just the natural flow of like I don't think club it ladders. Did.
1: I think the ro- ladder was kind of rot- rotting, you know, you know, as as the viability of touring. I mean, there's and it feels like some stuff is coming back, uh, but you know, there used to be this thing called the Tribble Run that was you're just some shitty shitty bar. In some shitty town every night of the week, you know, for ten days straight, and there are still some trouble gigs, but now they are just dried up, and, and you know, so those 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 bars went away. Yeah. And so now, instead of driving a hundred miles every day, people are driving two, three hundred. You
0: know, and that's
1: it's not as as easy.
0: Interesting. So you think the comedy culture of our just country kind of went down um well I think well also I mean how do you consume comedy
1: do you go do you go to the bar in your town or you know or do you do, or do you plug into the internet where all the comedy in history lives True. And so now as we're but there is something undeniable about live comedy and so now as people who make, you have to make interesting stuff that people want to see. And then you also have to do shows that people want to go to. And that is hard. It is hard. And and part of it is by creating a community, by uh, creating a name where people know that if you're involved in something, that it's not going to be shit. And part of that too is, you know, there's a lot that producers... I think there's a lot of open mic shows right now. Open mics with showcase with a, a featured set or whatever. So, well, uh, there is a point where you're s you, you want to say yes to everything, right? But then eventually you have to start saying no to stuff. And especially if you're a producer, learning how to say no to your friends is rough. And it's the most important thing. To decide who's it's important to decide who's gonna be on the show, but also to decide who's not or if that person isn't a fit for that show are they a fit somewhere else you know how do you navigate that process um, well I mean part of it is <laughs> I have some very very fun kind of beloved shows um, that don't necessarily pay very well you know like Weird and Awesome my variety show I've been doing for eight years which is it closes with a stand-up comic, uh, but covers there's storytelling and it gets sad and there's music and we give out prizes. It's created this community, but um, doing it for eight years. But one of the main reasons it's there is to support this fringe theater, um, and also to to connect people, to bring non-comedy audiences to see comedy. And to see to get uh, com- comedy on audiences to go see theater, you know, it's a, yeah. it's kind of to to to, to branch that. Um, part of that is like so but my standards are like that stand up comedian I, I kinda should say is like I book a stand up that is better than me. Like that's my standard. Oh. Um and you know, and that is is You know, and so I'm looking for someone who can handle, uh, for instance, the last show, uh, the stand-up comedian had to follow a father, a a mother and son duo, um, Sam Miller, who was an amazing comic and one of my favorites, but he's also... Very interesting guy with an interesting life. He was in prison. He was a, he's a former meth addict. Right now he works in violence prevention. And when he was incarcerated, he read, he wrote his mom letters and his mom wrote him letters and they saved that correspondence. And they have this show they do at libraries where they read those letters to each other. Wow. And it is intense. And he did 15 minutes of that with his mom at my variety show. And people were crying, and then my friend Brett Hamill, after we gave out a prize, went and did stand up. So that's my standard wow. of what you could do. And and Brett made some real good choices. You know, he's been doing stand up for about a decade, and he made some good choices. He went light, but still re- relevant, and put them in the right spot. You know, and it's it's those sort of so those are my my that's my standard for that one stand-up and people kind of know that right but people but I also the other even if maybe your stand-up isn't what I'm looking for I have opportunities on that show uh where I have people do show and tell I have people sing and tell stories and so sometimes when I tell a no I'm like well let's maybe figure out where you'd fit you know um, if That's they're really willing cool. to go out of their, their comfort zones. And there have been some some people who I have said no to that I have said yes to later. you know.
0: How um, do you say no to people? Like, literally, what's... Oh, well, I tell them it? what
1: I'm looking for and kind of explain why, you know. And uh, so it's hard sometimes. Uh, right now, uh, I just started a new stand-up. Showcase with with Brat called Joke Tellers Union Because this new bar opened up uh, That uh, Has a beautiful stage And it's an underserved neighborhood And I feel that there's not a lot of shows here For people to do long sets But also for an audience to be exposed to uh, You know, a midweek, like show full of professional stand-up comics or you know killers right and so that show is it's 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 pros and semi-pros doing 10 minutes with maybe one guest set and then some then we have an author or musician doing something that's really cool um and then maybe the guy who closes it out does about five minutes too and we're also but brett and i are both bearded dudes you know bearded white dudes with dogs we love married to jewish women right so we have, <laughs> <laughs> there's a stir- certain kind of niche that's been filled right and yeah so you know people are we're very lucky that we've been endorsed by the stranger people have been very excited about that show um our first month has been very good good, but people are now asking to be on that show and part of it is like, man, we already have two bearded white dudes, so you know So she we no, we have to have a reason some, to have have someone, someone else, you know, because we want for the show to be successful, we need a diversity of of, of, of voices, of material, of life experience, you know, and if you go that way uh you know you'll also get a a fairly diverse lineup as well Mm -hmm. um but uh, i think there's some people who are pretty who have approached and been like i'd like to do a show but i understand that maybe there's a lot of beards on that show there's other people who 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 haven't the best but you know you can also say we're we're packed up or we're looking for a specific thing or let me there's easy ways sometimes I don't know sometimes you have to give a soft no and figure out how to get these people to fit but I also think that the standard of show that I have put together if people come and see it they'll necessarily get what I'm looking for you know they'll understand the no it's not a no it's not a never yeah just a a certain
0: quality to the over totality of the show and
1: part of it too is is uh, you know if you get somebody who's real dirty maybe you know that's our dirty person right you know so so maybe you won't fit for this lineup, or. Uh, but then you know I. Also, it's kind
0: of like casting. It, it is. Like.
1: It's total casting. I mean, you're putting together. A, a whole thing, you know, and it's also your names on it, and and it it is, if people are going to come back. You know, it's not just just that show that that night that you're predicting that that you are are promoting that you are building. You're building all the nights after it. Um, and what is great about Seattle is there's a lot of really talented people, and 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 you have a real deep bench. Uh, and what's great about stand up is it's not static. People grow in this, and people take some real amazing leaps. People also do some real incredible and terrible falls, though too. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh you know, and I think in anything there are people that focus on being comedians, whatever that is, their image of what a comedian is, and then there's people who focus on jokes, creating jokes. I always kind of gravitate more to the, the joke makers than the yeah, just like comedy. Not necessarily comedy
0: just through the median medium of stand up.
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of well, I mean,
0: yeah. Or what do you mean by that? Maybe well, I in that, understand yeah, that. well, I,
1: th- that's a big thing, too, because, like, yeah, we're writers, you know, Like, and also to survive here, um, you have to be willing to do other things. I mean, I remember one year when I was doing my taxes that I realized that I made... About three hundred four hundred dollars from hosting puppet shows, wow, and I'll tell you something there's something really delightful about getting a check in the mail from a puppet show, like I like to think the puppets write the check <laughs> um, you know, and then there's there's uh I think one of my success is what if if you want to view it as that is that um i have been the stand-up comedian that has went to other scenes and and you know i will be invited to be on burlesque shows and and, and uh other spaces you know uh I, I once i you know was was part of a, a poetry show or as only stand up you know and it's that sort of uh, but then i'm also willing to to uh, try new things, too, to, to, to do storytelling or to, 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 to break, put that together. Like if somebody, you know, to cater what I'm doing to the spirit of the event. And that's what I look to, too, is like uh, if you are a comedian, if you are a joke writer, you should have the skill set to be able to honor the moment.
0: That's interesting because a lot of people are very dead set on only doing maybe stand up though like, gotta do mics you gotta do reps but like, I think that's really cool that you're hitting other spaces I know I heard that um, Hans Kim would go to music mics too a lot like around town yeah. in addition to just stand up and I think that's so smart it just is. To get on just it to is. get on stage
1: and that's also maybe one of the reasons why those um, those music mics have no stand up rules now. Really? <laughs> yeah, there's one or two. I don't think it's just Hans Kim because that guy's a joke writing machine, but he's really focused on on that, you know. And um, I mean, there's that, but it's it's for me too. It's like I think some of the more valuable stuff was watching these comedians when I first started out, and and still like seeing when I opened for Dave Chappelle. Um. Wow, it <laughs> was super cool to be able to do. I think like the first two guys they wanted didn't answer their phones, but um, did
0: you and Courtney do it?
1: Yeah, so I did. I did the first. I did uh, the first two nights. I did four shows, and then Courtney came back in town, and and I mean, he and Courtney real fit, really fit, and so. But it was doing four shows with with Dave Chappelle. Um, that is so cool. And watching him for four hours, and especially he was writing on stage and his deliberate use of movement and uh, seeing a joke evolve over the course of four shows, and also seeing the fact he said some stuff that I thought was real dog shit. He has some ideas that I do not vibe with, but he was able to deliver it in a way that actually people would listen, which is kind of dangerous, but also skillful. And, and all that. And I felt that I walked away. You know, I woke up Monday uh, and went to bed Tuesday a different comedian. Wow. But, you know, and part of it is watching comedy. And so, I mean, you have to live life to be able to write about it, right? So if you're doing a dozen open mics... I mean, at what point do you stop doing open mics and you start doing actual shows or you start watching or you know where's your fuel from? And so you have to have a balance.
0: That's so interesting. Like you you're only going to be able to talk about stand up if you're only doing stand up yeah. comedy. And so maybe
1: that's why I'm glad that that I I started when I was 25 cuz I had lived a little bit of life, you know.
0: So you you let all these eclectic stage experiences fuel stand up? Do you look at stand up as like the the prime outlet or and that these other things are just fun and fuel it and make you a better performer.
1: Oh, I well I mean stand up is the thing that pays me the most. I probably make the most money from stand up and and I think it's probably the thing I've been doing the longest. And you know the thing that if <laughs> if you were to ask me to to do an hour of <laughs> I could do, I can do an hour of stand-up, you know, if you were like, uh, had to ask me to do an hour of storytelling, I could do it, but I would have to really think about it and choose those stories, and you know, it would be a challenge, and it would be exciting, and I would love to do an hour of storytelling, and maybe some, you know, um, but I think, but then I also, you know, I do, You met. you met, Gary, you met Sugarplum yeah. Gary the other night. Um, you know, I do an hour of that, and you could argue that that is has some improv elements to that.
0: For context, Gary Sugarplum Gary is a character <laughs> yes. that Emmett does.
1: He is uh. a santanist. He's been possessed by the holiday spirit. He is a Christmas fanatic, and that is, you know, that something I've been doing for five years. the, the seed of the idea happened at a stand-up show. 10 years ago, you know. It's a long burn. And that's what's great about doing these things and being able to give yourself chances. That's so cool. um, And take risks. And I mean, a lot of that too is, I mean, it's about failing beautifully, man. It's about leaning into it. And when I go to an open mic, I I expect I'm going to bomb because I'm going to just be throwing turds looking for diamonds, you know. It's eat shit, poop gold. Like that is kind of the process sometimes. When you get something real beautiful, it's great, and you hone it, and you go. I realize I have opportunities that, and I had opportunities that people in this town did not necessarily have. I mean, when I started open mic sets for five minutes long, that's a good open mic set now, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I'm able to bully that five-minute open mic set—not bully, but I'll get offered it, yeah. you know. Or they'll give me a few minutes because, I guess it's my senior citizen discount. Yeah, because I fought in the war, but <laughs> comedy wars. But um,
0: that's awesome,
1: you know. But it's it's, you know. I think you want a mix of quality and quantity. But it all, the people who. And, and there's also some people who are doing open mics and find joy in it and find joy in the community and, and who are maybe doing it for other reasons than paying their bills with comedy, which is scary. And yeah,
0: how... I'm so... I mean, it's amazing to see a comedian that's working and paying bills doing comedy. So, like, how did you... I want to know, I want to go back to the, the pizza uh, call center. And, like, I just want to know, like, how you balance through your comedy trajectory, how you balance all that. And, like, when you actually quit a working job and transition to well comedian full time.
1: I, I was doing this show uh, that was really... popular and I was doing all this stuff and uh and what happened is you know I was working nights at this pizza call center and so I was really limited what I could do and eventually um, because I had some management experience and uh I had a certain skill set I was offered a position as the daytime catering coordinator just large-scale pizza orders to to companies big companies during the day and it was a fun challenging job and it opened up some stuff and then here I am I'm back in the I'm in a cubicle now you know working 40 hours a week probably working on comedy 40 hours a week 20 to 40 producing shows Uh, not just with the comedy collective but also working with uh, doing I did a post-apocalyptic variety show for a while and, and also doing other you know just doing dumb beautiful things and um I started fucking up at work and I had to decide and they were like listen you're not focused and I was so fucking up in comedy too like I was just draining myself and they're like you know you can choose like maybe you focus at work and do let you know and I had just gotten married and with, you know, i married to this, uh, this pretty girl I met at this call center years ago. She, uh, she was working at UW at the time, but I I quit the job. I quit the day job and I did... I took all the comedy work I could and I was able to make it work for about three months to live off that. But, yeah. you know, like you kind of take every, all the one nighters you can and then you're not, they're not going to have you back for a year. Right. And so it was, it, and, and also I don't think I was necessarily, this was eight years ago. Uh, I mean, what's that going to be, like, a road feature? It, I don't drive, too, and so that's an interesting challenge for me, but uh, but then I, I got this part-time job at an art museum as a security guard, and that was such a great job. It was people watching and daydreaming, and they were flexible. I was working two to four days a week, and they were pretty flexible, uh, and... And I worked there until I got last comic standing. But there was some resentment because I'd be, you know, sometimes I'd be working a private event at night. And, you know, I was thinking, man, like, my whole paycheck at that museum was sometimes one show somewhere else. And it's like I have a, you know, I have this job that pays me $12 an hour. Uh, that I do you know 20 hours a week I have a job that pays me $200 an
0: hour yeah
1: (laughs) that I do like two hours a week like how can I how can I balance that out you know and I mean it was and then eventually it came it it came time for me to, to leave and we were in a place where where that would where it was with the support of, of Kate, you know, that we were able to, to make it work. And and I was, last comic standing helped me get into NACA, and, you know, I, I had a college agent for a while, and that was great, and uh, doing some theaters and stuff. It happened, finally I was it, and then I stopped being able to get out of bed. And we were talking about it a yeah. little bit. 2 years ago. Yeah, and it turns out that like, you know, I was flirting with diabetes. Uh, I had, my back was all fucked up. My PTSD was got reactivated and I really had to figure out how to survive. I almost went away.
0: And you almost went away.
1: I almost went away. I, uh, there was there was there was a few 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 things. If they had wouldn't have caught that stuff, uh, who knows what would have happened? Really, but I was diabetes
0: related. Uh,
1: diabetes and some other stuff like it. Just it was. Um, I was I was I was a huge stroke risk. I was wow. Yeah, but here's the thing: is the diabetes? I had to lose all this weight, right? And then when I was. You know, my weird basement show, uh, The Magic Hat, this this, this st- strange little show I do every Monday. I remember laughing and coughing at the same time and feeling a tear in my body. And I had herniated myself, right?
0: Oh, my God.
1: And it what sucked, it was a week before I was supposed to go to San Francisco uh, Sketch Fest, uh, which... I mean, festivals are such a wonderful thing. To, I've always been very fortunate to, to get to do all these cool festivals. But um, I had to have... They had to, they had to push my guts back in my body. Um, and, you know, it's a real... You hate to cancel a gig, but when you have a good excuse, yeah. you know, it's a fun email to send. But... um Jeez. Uh, if I hadn't have gotten the diabetes and had to do the work on myself and lose all that weight and change my diet, they said when they were you know, getting ready to cut me up and they're like, you know, you would have probably stroked out during the surgery. But in this case, but today, you're one of the healthiest guys we're cutting up. Wow but then you know you come out of these things and then you go you go through a month not being able to lift over 10 pounds and you you start thinking about what are the choices and what do I want to do like who do I want to work with if you have just if you have almost went away now that I'm here now that I'm still on the planet and then you see people you love go away and leave but you're still there you I think it's really important about deliberate choices. And I think I am very fortunate to be in a position where people pay me to do the things I love, whether it be jokes, you know, or tell sad stories, or put on footy pajamas with Santa Claus faces for the feet and, and talk to people about the nightmare of Christmas for an hour or write something, or host something, or, or you know, and all of it is because over the last 15 years, I have made some real fucked up decisions, but it's gotten me into this beautiful place. And I think a big part of it is just keep trying, and with the intent of making something beautiful, not always getting there. But you know what they say, you know, if you try pissing at the stars, maybe you'll miss but at least you'll get the moon wet so, yeah <laughs> you know or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah but um but i mean there were after that i mean there was a dark period where i was i my i wasn't making the income that i i i used to and Sometimes I get some real nice big paychecks and it's sporadic and weird and you have to save for that and you have to, you know. I make maybe half of of what I made when I managed a video store. Really? But I feel my quality of life is much higher than it is. I also, you know, I get to travel and I have some great friends and I've had some... Fantastic experiences, and you know, like I, I, I did Sasquatch last year. That was real fun. At the, you know, I do these rock. I got to do a rock festival three times at one of the most beautiful places in Washington, and 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 see some amazing bands and and you know. Uh, yeah,
0: you the live experience. the life you want to live. Yeah,
1: or or I live. Yeah, something. I also get to. Make weird puppets and get people to wear them and do all sorts of stuff.
0: So cool. So, right now, are you back to also working part time?
1: No. Like, all I do, but I mean, I guess, I mean, I taught a class today, right?
0: Okay. I thought you said you were in a cubicle for 40 hours. That's not now. No. no. Okay. I was That's convinced. what happened
1: when I was a catering coordinator. I found oh, myself whoa, whoa, whoa. again. There. Oh, the daily. The, the daily job. Yeah. The, yeah. So. Yeah, but, I mean, today, so, let's see. So, yesterday I had the Magic Hat, which is my weird basement show. Uh, It's kind of an experimental workshop, you know. Sometimes two people show up, sometimes 20, you know, but it's been real fun, and it's, it's, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have that kind of, clubhouse
0: what kind of uh comedy is done there or performances
1: well so uh we get storytelling with stand-up the rule with the stand-up is it either if i book because i do four 10-minute spots if i book you for one of those 10-minute spots and you're gonna do stand-up i either want it to be golden like your best stand-up pro set or like experimental like not open mic but like 10 minutes about one thing or you know and and a lot of times they'll have work in comics come through and they will really jump at the chance to 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 use that 10 minutes and uh, um, like Grant Lyon who was recently and he has this whole he has all these American history haikus wow and so he did he did that for 10 minutes once or or but yesterday, uh, one of one of the things we also have is the audience members can put their name in this hat for the chance to do something intentional for five minutes. And one of the bartenders at the bar at the rendezvous, he wasn't working that night, and it was his only chance. Uh, his schedule is changing. It was his one chance to see the show. So he came down and he put his name in the hat. And he had a letter that his father had sent him on his 33rd birthday that he had never read sober. And he read that letter from his father. Wow. And, I mean, people like were crying, and it was funny at points. And there's thing, And then, uh, so that sort of thing happens. And then other times, like, I have, have clowns, you know. How is
0: it different from your variety show? Because
1: it's in a basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very little tech inspector. We, we. Sometimes we turn off all the lights and tell secrets to each other. It's been sort of more of a cult than a comedy show. Uh, Which one is this? The Magic Hat.
0: This is the one on yeah. Mondays.
1: Yes. And the Weird and Awesome is... I mean, they're, they're still community-based shows, but that one, it's at this amazing the, 99-seat theater with a, a brilliant sound guy named and sound-and-light guy named Alex King. and We... we you know, I'm able to get all sorts of... We have dance acts. We have a huge stage, you know. And it's a spectacle. Wow.
0: Are you, that's so cool. And you're able to fill... Are you able to fill it up?
1: Yeah, it's either sold out or not at this point, you know. Uh, so we had... Uh, the last show, because we're competing with the sun, we had... We had... Uh, like 75, 80. And, but then the... Two shows before that were sold out.
0: And do you just do word of mouth advertising?
1: Uh, So I partner with the venues. Um, We have a real cool poster that Isaac Novak did uh, that is hanging in various places. Is
0: that the one with the beard? No. There's a really cool poster I saw of just your beard. I don't know. Oh, (laughs) me as a skeleton and then the beard. I think so. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that is a great one. That was for his central comedy show now this was uh, for uh, City Arts described the show as the cabinet as a cabinet of wonders and so it's me opening my chest I also tend to say the phrase open your hearts a lot when I bring people up and so it's opening my chest and having all these things that pertain to what the show is happening it's, it's a real cool beautiful thing um, but uh and then you know there's facebook advertising that theater does and then there's ticketing blasts and stuff but i also have i would say half my audiences are people i know that have been coming to that show for a long time i think that there is a repeatability to that show where people come and they want to bring another group and part of it too is my wife is co-producer uh we have a great team of people uh, in Extended Family in that show that are advocates for that show. Uh, I've officiated two weddings of that's audience insane. members in the show. I blessed a baby in January because uh, one of those couples uh, did it. Uh, that's insane. And had a child.
0: So uh, well, you'd say it's different every time <laughs> then.
1: Yes. And that, I mean, and, and people are coming to the show not because of the lineup, be- because of what the show is. And I think that's something really important to think. Of, uh, if you are going to produce a show, you want to put together a show where the show is the draw. Yeah, and it could it could be just that it's a well booked stand up comedy night? You know that people just know that that there's a certain quality. I mean, just think of you know people go down to the cellar, the comedy cellar in New York, yeah. right? Uh, maybe with hopes of seeing certain people, but know that the comics down there worked hard to get there, right? And that's that's what you want.
0: It's the brand itself. It's not yeah the lineup re- or the brand relying on a lineup for a given night. Yeah, it's,
1: well, it's because there are certain thoughts in making that show, and that's one of the reasons why it has has a strong brand. Maybe there are branding decisions, but you know, if if your branding is amazing and your product is shit, you know. Yeah, it's it doesn't not matter. gonna be it's good, voices you know? and, But and, but you can have something wonderful. Uh, in in a shitty can, but if it's beautiful enough, it will deserve that.
0: You That's know? so cool. I love that. I love doing, like variety shows that are just like totally different than what people normally see. Because yeah. just stand up shows kind of gets old.
1: It's been nice going back to stand up with Joke Tellers Union, uh, and. I'm very excited about the lineup tomorrow. Uh, we have uh, two two younger voices uh, that I really like, uh, and then it's a series of old road dogs, and I think it'll be a nice contrast, you know, and you just go that, and it's, it's each of us kind of have, have our own, own different style. What's the lineup? Uh, so hosting will be Nicole Ash Bailey, who's a Tacoma-based comic, who I actually... Um, went down to Olympia and guested it at a workshop and she was one of she was one of the standouts and a year and a half two years later she has produced some really interesting shows she just she's just really great. she's great so, have you seen her?
0: yeah we booked her on our Young Tech show
1: yeah she's just intuitive and you know, it kind of makes it angry that she's only been doing it for a year year and a half to two years yeah but there's something in fact on my uh, the next weird awesome, uh, which will also is two days after my 40th birthday, uh, she's closing out the show. Really? I was thinking about, I just I was thinking about I wanted some someone special. She has co-hosted the show with me before um, and brought something, but I just I just love her jokes and I think that there's something just she'll just bring a real distinct and beautiful voice to that show. When's that next show? June 3rd. Okay. So at Annex Theater, but, um, so she's hosting because she came and she did the, uh, she did just uh, a, a 10 minute spot uh, at I think the second show and she just killed it. And the way we've de- decided to book that show, Brett and I, is um, we are taking if someone does well in the room, we will invite them to maybe come host. And we are treating a lot, instead of treating host as a, a burden position or an opening position, it is a position of honor. Because otherwise it's Brett and I who are hosting. Yeah. You know, because we really want people who are going to own that room. And then, you know.
0: I heard, like, I think in the past that hosting was more of a prestigious. Or maybe other scenes. Yeah,
1: there's other scenes where that where hosting is, is... is And it's a great skill set. I will say that I probably get paid more to host things, like non-comedy stuff, fundraisers, uh, showcases, variety It hours. goes into
0: so many different yeah. areas.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and to be able to... You have to read room. You have to have uh, a variety of material that work in different situations. You also have to learn how to be selfless. Although... I've turned that around, and I mean, I host two shows <laughs> that are all about me, you know. Yeah. Where Nelson with Emma Montgomery is, is, is my show. I am I'm the star. Yeah. I am, I am you know, I am the meat, and everyone else is the bread in my sandwich, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's fun, you know, but you also, I do know that because I am, because it is my show, I have to set up every single one of those performers for success. Because we're a family, we're in it together. If someone fails on one of the shows I'm putting together, it is my failure because I haven't put them in the right way. you know
0: and, Yeah, and it's sort funny. of like the improv kind of mentality. Yeah, you have to have everyone's back.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's you know, it's a, because it's, it's your baby, you know. I think everything kind of has to be great and intentional. You try to be beautiful. You know, and, and sometimes you are. I think that's, there we go. So we have Nicole uh, is hosting. <laughs> um, and then uh, Tony Daniel, who's a great working comic. He was one of the working comics when I started. Uh, I've done the comedy competition with him a few times. He's he's coming to, to do it. Uh, he's a cool guy from Detroit. I really, really love him. Um, then we have... Um, jordan Seaver, uh he has two last names he is uh he's got he and his wife are traveling the country right now in an rv uh he was he reached out about shows and he i guess he was a big part of the boston sh- sh- scene and i checked uh i reached out to some mutual friends and he got a glowing reference and his tape was good and he did he told a real kind of tragic story at Magic Hat last night, and now and but I could tell that he's going to be good at stand-up, right? He has those sensibilities. Um, me and Brett, of course, Brett Hamill, and then um, Adam Kessler, who he's he's like an Eastern Washington, Central Washington uh, kind of road dog, who like is probably my favorite Facebook friend because he posts. The most awful puns. It is just so <laughs> beautiful. These punny, shitty one-liners, and uh, I have—I've never worked with him before, but uh, he will be closing the night. And then Kayla Ruth, who is just—she's uh, been sitting down in my comedy class, and she's just such a one-liner master. And uh, she is so completely awkward on stage. But she <laughs> Owned it so much that That's awesome. like, you would just fall in love with her, and and then um, I'm not going to be doing stand up because we always have a non stand up act, and uh, we had to push some stuff around. So I'll probably be doing a show and tell. I have collected over the years a lot of books by a woman named Anne Geddes, who maybe are, are, are I no know. i have no idea you were so is. young that you do not know. So Anne Geddes was very famous for. You've probably seen some of the pictures of like you know like the newborns dressed as like animals or turnips, or in the flower pots, or your mom's ha- maybe. Ha- had- maybe had these calendars. Not sure. Well, she th- there are these terrifying photo books of babies dressed as vegetables. I <laughs> um, <laughs> have about three of them. Uh, we recently moved, and my wife kept on saying. Did do we have to have these books? And I'm like, yes, yes we do. And I used to do this show until bet at Laugh Hole, so I'm probably going to bring it back. I also have a real cool... Yeah, and so, just, you know, I think as, as you create comedy, I mean, nobody is going to see a comedy show and be like, man, I really... I would have enjoyed that set if that guy would have, you know, used set up Punchline more and, and stuck to the rule of threes. Like, nobody's going to see that. People are going there because they want to laugh. And I think real great comics find it a way to do, do it their own way and change things. And I think at the end, so cool. we're all looking for stories. We're just looking to be human together.
0: Do you find that your experience in other scenes is what, like, lets you even book these different types of acts? Like you have an ability to book these eclectic acts but it's like where do you even start? I mean, I think it does help like
1: uh, that I have performed well in other scenes you know and then that will give you some cred or having a good show or you know and a lot of these you know and I try to approach people as, as peers and 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 friends you know because i think we're all sharing the same impossible dream uh it does help and, and and it is and i do feel that sometimes i have kind of an unfair advantage because i was at a, a city arts magazine party because i was they i was one of their artists of the year one year it was when i the year i was on tv i was on this list of artists of the year and so I'm at this this fancy party and some some art guy uh, introduced me uh, to to some musician dude and said hey this is Emmett he's the he's the funniest comedian in Seattle and I just asked him like how many stand-ups have you seen and he's like oh just you and I'm like oh I guess I am. (laughs) You know, it's kind of easy to, to get that rep of being the comedy guy when you're the only guy in that space, you know? And I feel lucky in, in being able to have discovered new spaces. I also see comics now doing that. Comics in Seattle, uh, I think Alyssa Yeoman and Natalie Holt and a bunch of other great comics are, are finding new spaces and asserting themselves and trying new things. So, Alyssa Yeoman and, and that whole crew you know did the, the cool those three sketch shows at at Washington Ensemble theater where they created a a uh, a, a whole team of, of, of comedians and uh, and what do you mean so uh, they did a show called Alyssa explains it all uh, yes yeah uh, that through Washington Ensemble Theater um, that was a sketch show using the existing set and all three of those shows were sold out and they were using the apparatus of a different scene to get theater folks to come and see this comedy show that I'm sure built roads for all of them and seeing stuff like that is very exciting and I think that is a way, way to go. You have... You know, you, um, you have this c- character open, Mike, that is is, I think has a lot of potential. I uh, I really liked uh, Gabby, Gaby Lucas. Yeah, I think you know. I think I'm gonna have her come check out the magic hat, and then we'll decide if there's something I can can use her for. You know, down there. She's know? great. Yeah, and it's she seems like somebody who's 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 willing to do things outside of. Just yeah, you know, sometimes you just want people that are going to be. Funny. That was her first time
0: too. She first killed them during time. character stuff. Yeah, well, she's, I mean, just wearing great. that
1: football, you know. And then there were were other people, so you know, that's yeah. just kind of how it is. But um. I mean, but I think a big part of it too is 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 you want to consume cool art too. You want to keep being inspired. I mean, and even just like finding it doesn't even have to be comedy, man. Like a, a good sad story, I think, can make. I mean, where do where do great jokes come from? Tragedy, yeah. Horrible things. We're processing horrible things and turning them into good or palatable things. So,
0: yeah. You just find things that make people feel. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's what really is people go and they want to feel. Yeah. And I mean, laughter is great because it's positive emotion.
0: All right, guys. So we're going a bit over time. We're going to resume this episode in a part two that is coming soon. In the meantime, uh, stay tuned next week for an interview coming out with Ryan O'Flanagan. He is a uh, original member of YouTube sketch comedy series Dead Kevin and a star of the Netflix original series American Vandal. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So, club owners agents managers festival runners all that stuff so tune in every week and uh also follow me on social media at the austin nasso on twitter facebook and instagram and you can also catch me on youtube with Chabros, c-h-a-a bros one word uh we have some funny videos up so check it out thanks guys